Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good to worship with you today. Glad to be here with you and uh, to have a few minutes together. Uh, we are finishing up our God Is series, and then we're going to start a road to resurrection. We're going to be kind of keying in on the Easter celebrations that are, are coming to us uh, next month. So looking forward to that shift. Um, but I did want to finish uh, this series up with a message um, two weeks ago, I talked about heaven, and we talked about how heaven is our reward. Um, I was hopeful to marry that message together with a, another topic within the message about Jesus as our defender. Um, I wanted to preach Jesus as our defender and reward. I wasn't able to fit all that in, and so you're, you got reward first, now you're getting defender last, okay? So today I want to talk about Jesus as our defender. God is my defender. And I want to broach another topic like heaven, which is one that we don't hear very much about, but I want to broach this topic because I believe it's vital to where God is taking you in your life and how he's leading and directing you. And I actually want to talk today about spiritual warfare. I want to talk about a spiritual battle. You see, as a Christian, we believe as Christians that evil is real. Good is, good is real, but so is evil. It's not just in fairy tales, not just in books or in stories. Evil is real. And we also believe as Christians that behind evil is a force known as Satan. Now, Satan has a name that we use, and you'll see in the scripture that's uh, the devil. It's the same. So don't worry if you see two names somewhere. It's the same entity, the same evil force. The Bible says that the devil is the father of lies. He tells lies. He's a deceiver. The Bible also tells us that he hates us. That as um, a human who has been formed in the image of God, this deceiver, this father of lies, wants to torment you um, because it was his desire to take the image of God, and he could not. And so he hates you for that. The Bible says that his number one mission is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Welcome to church. Um, but listen, the point, there's a point here, and, and, and today you're going to leave with a lot of victory in your life. But let me just say that as people of faith, we believe there is a spiritual realm, and it's as real as the physical realm. And there's a battle raging in that spiritual realm. It's raging right now. It rages continually. The forces of evil and the forces of good, and this is, this is not marvel, okay? This is real. Um, and let me, let me just now take you into the scripture where the Bible helps us form our thinking and our perspective on this spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul kind of says, let me pull back the curtain on this reality and show you another reality that is going on right now. And so understand that there is a war and friend, you are in it. Like it or not, 
All of us are caught up in this spiritual war, and it's taking place between good and evil, and the wrestle, the fight, the battle rages. And if you don't engage in that war, you're going to still be affected by it, and you'll be much more vulnerable to the evil that you would um, have been able to defeat if you chose to engage the war. God calls you to engage. So the topic of the devil and spiritual warfare is one that many Christians find challenging. And maybe you've already made a little bit of an assumption about this message or about this topic. And I want you to know that if we ignore the reality of the devil and his existence, then we are playing right into his hands. Because the truth is, the best lie he has sold the world is he doesn't exist. And so many people live as though there is no evil force behind the events and the realities that they're experiencing. But I want you to know that if we ignore the devil's existence and that his sole aim is to ruin us, we set ourselves up to fall victim to his ploys. The truth is, is the enemy, I told you, the devil is the father of lies. He uses lies to bring to us doubt about God and about the promises that God has for us. And that's why Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. You see, it's important to realize that if this war is waging and we don't see it, it must exist somewhere. And and it does exist in a spiritual realm, but the way that you feel the effect of that is in your mind. Now, let me just help you uh, understand this. There is a mental space that is a battleground for all of us. And this is where the enemy is waging his war against us. Satan tells very convincing lies. Lies that are so convincing that they appear in this fallen world to be truth. They make sense in the brokenness. And and I want you to catch this from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 2, and then of course in chapter 3, when the enemy enters the storyline of the garden story, he comes with lies. And he comes with half-truths. And then he manipulates the way they would feel about the God who loves them. And this is one of his tactics. He tells very convincing lies. He also uses fear to take advantage of vulnerabilities in your life. And and he wants to cause you to worry and to feel hopeless and to lack joy. And the devil uses this world system, this broken, fallen world. In our verse, it says the powers of this dark world. He uses the system to make us feel powerless, intimidated, and outnumbered. Because then we're going to be less likely to fight back. But my goal today in this message is to help you see that as a Christian, victory is certain. Amen? And how do I know that? I know that because the Bible tells me that. And we already saying, I'll take you at your word. If you said it, I'm going to believe it. And here's what the Bible says. The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Amen? Amen. Friends, you need to shake yourself. Because God wants to work in your life. And God wants to give you victories in places that you've already given up hope about. Where you've already let go. He's saying, no, 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 no. We're going to reclaim the good things that God has intended for your life. 
But let me, let me help you understand where we are. Two weeks ago, I talked about heaven, and I showed you a, a timeline of history. They're going to put that image back up behind me once again, that image of the timeline of history. We start in the garden with this perfect world. It was heaven on earth, and God was there, and Adam and Eve were there, and it was perfect. And then we enter in Genesis 3, the fallen world. And then from the fallen world, we find uh, this hope in the, uh, the closing chapters of the Bible of the return of Jesus and him coming with justice and righteousness and making things right. And then the opening up of the new heavens and the new earth, which is way better than Hollywood heaven, right? Remember that from a couple weeks ago. So why am I showing you this timeline again? Because if I would have had time in the one sermon, it would have been three hours long. But if I would have had time in the one sermon, we would have stopped on the fallen world and then talked about all of this stuff. How do we live in a fallen world? Are we just victims in this fallen world? Are we just here to suffer and die and wait and maybe someday we'll get it right? No, because into the fallen world, Jesus came. Amen? He came. He came as, a, as a, a beautiful baby. And then he grew up and he began his ministry. And Jesus came in his ministry, introducing the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness. That's why Jesus came the first time. He came with power and authority over the enemy who rules in this fallen world. Let's look how Jesus explains it in Mark chapter 3, verse 27, speaking about dealing with the devil. He says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. If you are going to go into dangerous territory, you've got to neutralize the threat. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I entered the strong man's house. That's this fallen world. And what did I do? I went to the cross. And on the cross, I took away the strong man's power. And now, not only did Jesus have victory, but so do you. Look at what the, the, the Bible tells us, and this deserves a real shout at the end of these two verses, okay? Colossians chapter 2, verses 10 and verse 15, it says, He, Christ, is the head over every, come on, say that with me, every, say it again, every power and authority every power and authority. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them through the cross. Hallelujah. Thank you for that clap. You see, Jesus is our defender. And he didn't leave us in a broken, fallen world helpless. He sent us here as agents of his kingdom. He redeemed us from the curse of this fallen world. And he sets us here to make a difference in this world. He triumphed over the cross. And friends, you have victory too because of Jesus. Yeah, amen. As a Christian, understand this. Jesus gives you his authority, right? So we don't function in our own because that would be useless and we would be weak and we would fail. But we function in his authority. And the reason why we live victoriously is because of his authority. You see, after the resurrection, before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he gathered his followers together. And it says this about what he communicated to them when he gathered them. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, you should say that with me, okay? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here's some good news, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Praise God. So we now have been given Jesus and his authority. And here's the problem. Thank you, Roy. I appreciate you, brother. Keep clapping, man. (laughs) Just keep doing it. You bless me. Such a good brother. But here's the problem, friends. The problem is, is most of us as Christians, we don't know how to use the authority that Jesus has given us. I don't think we think about it. I don't know that we embody that. And so what I want to do is I want to help you to feel the capacity to harness the authority that Jesus has given to you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and he says, go. He doesn't send you out to go without what you need. He sends you out to go with his authority, and he's given it to you. And, okay, so let me just give you three thoughts. First of all, let me just say, by nature, standing up and preaching, every sermon is incomplete. There's much more to say. And some of you are so wonderful to come to me after service and say, oh, you know what? You could have used that verse. And the answer is, you're right. But that's the the issue. We could, man, we could talk all day, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three thoughts, and I hope they help you, okay? The first one is this, how to use Christ's authority. Using his authority starts with right thinking. That's where it begins. It begins with getting your thinking right. Because remember what I said? This is where the enemy attacks us, right here. This is the battleground. It's raging in our minds. And so understand this, that if we want to understand the power and authority of Jesus, we have to realize that he has given it to us. And I need to think about that, and I need to be reminded of that. In fact, we have our Freedom Conference. We just had it this weekend. And all weekend long, we just keep reminding people, you have authority. Jesus gave you authority. You can take authority over that. You can renounce that. You can declare that. Why? Because Jesus gave you authority and we're just quoting his word. We're just taking him at his word. And we keep telling them, you have authority. You have authority in three places because of what Jesus has done for you. He gave you the authority of his name. He gave you the authority of his blood. And he gave you the authority of his word. That's a pretty powerful combination. Now, let me help you understand this. He gave you the authority of his name because the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses he is Lord. It's a place where every knee has to bow. And so that's why using his name is so powerful. And that's why we sang about it. And at the end, we're going to sing it again and you're going to love it. I'm already ready for it. He gave you his blood. In other words, he gave his life on the cross. His blood was spilt for you. And he was a sacrificial lamb. Why? Because his blood cleanses you from every sin. Every sin. So his name gives you power because he, his, at his name every knee bows. His blood gives you authority because it cleanses every sin. And his word is powerful because it's our weapon against every foe. And so Jesus hasn't left you without what you need to exercise the authority that he's given to you. But it starts with right thinking. We keep reminding 
the people of this over uh, the course of our freedom, uh, our freedom curriculum because using Christ's authority starts with right thinking. And so now let's look at a verse that attaches this idea of spiritual warfare and what's going on in your mind, okay? And so it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're gonna read verses three to six. So read with me. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Now, I hope that's clear to you. This isn't physical. We're talking about another dimension. We're talking about another reality, another realm. We're talking about a spiritual realm. On the contrary, we don't shoot with guns and cannons and bombs, but what we do have is divine power. Do you see that? On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And verse 5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's where the mind is very clear. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's spiritual warfare, friends. No, no, you can't get in here. My mind is set on Jesus. I know his word and I'm going to take him at his word. If you said it, I believe it. You said I'm saved. You said I'm yours. Come on. That's a good song to sing, isn't it? We're just saying no. This, this mind belongs to Jesus. And that's why I love that the Bible says that you have the mind of Christ. Isn't that good? I mean, Jesus can just saturate your mind. And we take thoughts captive. So right thinking means a couple of things. Let me give you four thoughts about that. Right thinking means that you see the kingdom of God firstly as spiritual and then as physical. The kingdom of God is first spiritual and then physical. In other words, think about the church. Here we are, a room full of people. So good to see you all. This is wonderful. Good to be together. But this room full of people is physical. But the physical reality is telling the story of a spiritual transformation. Amen? You are changed because of Jesus. He met you here. And now, what does he do? He gathers us together by his spirit. We come together by his spirit because he changed us. He transformed us. And so here we are. And so we don't win our battles fighting physically, but spiritually. That's why the first verse I read to you is, we do not fight a battle of flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. I love that this verse says you can demolish strongholds. I want to just dive into that just for a second, not take a long time. But did you understand that a stronghold is territory that's not only held, but fortified. If you read through the Bible, you'll see all kinds of stories about the kings. If you look in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and it says, you know, they did this and they did this, and it said they fortified that city, and they fortified that city. They strengthened those gates. They, they uh, raised that wall up. They put in another wall, right? Why? That's creating a stronghold. What's a stronghold for? Defense. It's for defense. Sometimes we start thinking the devil's strongholds are like moving at us. They're not. They're fixed. Understand what this is saying. You go to the stronghold with the power of God. And as you go to the stronghold, you tear it down. In other words, these thick walls, these set gates, it's like what Jesus said. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Those gates aren't moving. Well, the point is we're advancing. Are you hearing me? So that's the point. So we're going to demolish the strongholds of the enemy. We're going to take that ground back. It's not that the gates are coming at us. It's not that the strongholds are coming at us. It's that we identify that the enemy's camped out there and we're tearing it down. 
The enemy's trying to do something there, and we're going to attack that. And you might be saying, okay, that seems like a little bit, little bit crazy. Is that a crazy preacher up there? Yeah, probably. Probably a little crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I'm just convinced. I'm absolutely convinced. If you want to know what it looks like to see somebody who believes what they're saying, you're looking at it. I believe this. This is truth. And the enemy is trying to deceive us. And so we're going to fight back. Right thinking means you see the kingdom of God as firstly spiritual, then physical. Right thinking means that you agree with the king and not the enemy. See, this is that battle in the mind that I'm talking about. You see, the Bible says here that we're going to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Did you know that the Bible says of the devil that when he speaks lies, he's speaking his native language? That's what he always speaks. He's always telling lies. So when you hear lies whispered in your mind, in your heart, you're fighting a battle. Take those thoughts captive. Win the battle in your mind. Agree with the king, not with the enemy. That's how we stand united. So the enemy wants to get you to agree with him, agree with what you might see in this fallen world where he does have rulership. And what we have to do is look beyond this physical world and into the spiritual reality and say, no, I'm a child of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and my king says this, and that's what I believe, and that's what I establish. And so right thinking means you agree with the king and not the enemy. It also means that you root out all wrong thinking. I love that it says here that you actually demolish arguments. Isn't that, isn't that a powerful thought? Pounding them into powder. I'm going to demolish the arguments that come against me. I'm going to stand in that place where I'm going to have right thinking. And then finally, right thinking means you let faith override fear. That's enough. Faith is going to override fear. You see, faith and fear cannot coexist. One wins, the other loses. But sometimes we go... We look at our fear and we go, okay, I want to have faith, even though we're kind of nervous about it. Can I, can I just take you a different direction in that? You see, the reason why we have faith in God is because of how much he loves us. He loves us so much. He loves us more than we can actually fathom. He loves us so much that he sent his dearest gift to purchase you. And if you can think about the love of God, it's not hard to have faith in that God. When you think about how much he loves you and what distance and what, what, what pains he went to to rescue you, then what you understand is that he's a God that can be trusted. So that's where you're placing your faith. You're placing your faith in a God who loves you. And I'm loved so much I can face my fears. I can face my fears with faith because I am so dearly loved. And so I say no to fear and I say yes to what the scriptures say in 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Is there an amen in the house? Amen. So using his authority starts with right thinking. Using his authority means we also put on the armor of God. It's probably the most profound passage on spiritual warfare in your Bible. It continues on from the first verse that I read to you about principalities and powers and the rulers of this world and about fighting a spiritual battle. And it says, because of that, it starts with a therefore. Let's read it together. We're going to read Ephesians 6, 13 to 17. Therefore, put on the full armor of God 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is a picture of being prepared for battle. Paul says, come on, let's get ready, church. He's talking to the Ephesian church. Get ready. Battles are real. Battles are spiritual. And you are fully armed. Just put the armor on. I'm a church kid. Proud of it. Went to Sunday school as a little boy. Can say the books of the Bible faster than anybody in this room. (laughs) And one of the things I remember is flannel graphs. Um, flannel graphs were like this, it was like a sheet and they had these paper, it was like, it came in a big envelope and there were papers and on the back there was sort of like the early version of Velcro. It was just sort of like ridges on the back and you could stick them on the flannel graph and they would stay. And I remember, I remember very vividly, there's the guy in a loincloth and then you put on the helmet of salvation and you put on the breastplate of righteousness and you put the sword out and the shield out and he's ready for battle. And I remember thinking how cool that was and how I get myself a set of that armor, right? But the truth is we're talking about spiritual realities, not physical realities. But the reason why the Bible uses the language it does is because you can live without armor. It's your choice. And so over and over again, it's saying, pick it up, put it on, strap it on, use it, take it. Because here's the reality. If you're going to be fully armed, you're going to have to strap on truth in a world of confusion and lies. You're going to have to put on righteousness like a breastplate that protects your heart and your soul from what's going on all around you. You're going to have to move forward with the gospel and watch the peace of God flow from your life. You're going to have to pick up the faith shield and you're going to extinguish then the enemy's flaming arrows of fear. You're going to cover your mind with salvation that brings you joy and confidence. And you're going to use the Bible as your weapon which is empowered by the Holy Spirit in your hand. Pick it up, put it on, strap it on, cover up, and get ready to use it because you have armor, you have a shield, and you have a sword. You're ready for battle. You don't just have protection, you have what you need for advancement. And I love this little verse from Isaiah 58, 8. Behind you, the Bible says, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Amen? You're ready. You're ready. And so using his authority means we put on the armor of God. And finally, using his authority means we pray in Jesus' name. That's the name of authority, friends. Jesus' name. You see, the armor of God, it's there to prepare us for battle. But friends, prayer is the battle itself. Did you know that? Sometimes we get bored when people start talking about prayer. I watch the eyes glaze over. But prayer is the battle. If there's one thing the church must do is pray. If there's one thing the enemy wants is a prayerless church, 
not accessing power, not moving forward in God's goodness. Prayer is the battle itself. We're armed, but then we are moving forward. Because what prayer in Jesus' name is saying is that we refuse to simply watch, simply watch the enemy continue to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But we actually say no. No, in Jesus' name, we will fight. We will fight. And so in James chapter four, verse seven, it shows us how to ready ourselves with authority, how to work in prayer, and what the result will be. It's one simple little verse, and it says this, submit yourselves then to God. That's identifying his authority. And then resist the devil. That's prayer. And then guess what the result is? He will flee from you. That's victory. That's victory. And that's your path. Friends, that's spiritual warfare. But what is it that warfare prayers actually start to look like? Well, it, it's the same as it was for Jesus. Remember Jesus said, you gotta bind up the strong man, then you can plunder his house. And so Jesus, when he was getting ready, his disciples for their ministry, he said to them in Matthew 18, and I'm gonna invite the band to come because in just a minute, we're gonna sing in Jesus' name. So they're gonna come and get ready. But here's what Jesus said to his disciples. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we're gonna bind up the strong man. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So we pray in Jesus' name. And in doing so, we bind up the strong man and we release God's will into the world. So we pray. This is why we pray every Tuesday. We pray every Tuesday because we're battling. We're battling. And we realize how important it really is to battle for the Lord and with the Lord. And so this week, don't come because there's gonna be hundreds of children on Tuesday. But you can join us by praying at home. Prayer points went out in the newsletter. If you want them, you can call or email the office. I want us to, in just a moment, I want us to use this song we sang earlier that you may have just been learning for the first time. I want to use it as a, as a spiritual warfare prayer in just a moment. But I want to give you a picture uh, from my Scottish roots. Robert the Bruce was the one who led Scotland to freedom against the Brits. He died in 1329 and he asked something very strange of his warriors. He said, when I die, remove my heart and embalm it and place it in a small container and carry me with you into battle, wherever you go. So one of his warriors, James Douglas, carried this small container around his neck on a chain. And every battle that Douglas fought, he literally carried the heart of his king pressed up against his chest. And then in the spring of 1330, Douglas was facing terrible odds, completely surrounded, outnumbered, sure of death. 
He rallied his men to him as they were about to make their final stand. And legend tells that he took the heart of their king from around his neck and he said to his warriors, fight for the heart of your king. And he threw the heart into the enemy and they charged. It's a really neat story. And he said something about forward and the Scottish still say forward, it's kind of a thing. But whether it's legend or real, the image is rich. You carry your king's heart. You're subjects of the kingdom. And I hear the Lord saying to his church, fight for your king. Fight for your king. Let's do battle together today. And let's determine in our hearts that we're going to be ones who carry the knowledge of the kingdom and we fight the spiritual battles. We are in a battle and we carry our king's heart and we fight by binding the evil one and loosing the will of God in prayer. We fight for the world in prayer praying for peace, praying for harvest. We fight by praying for ourselves and for our families and for our church and for our city. We fight by praying for the hurting and the broken and the addicted and the mentally and physically ill. We fight. So I'm going to invite you now to stand to your feet in this room. And let's fight together. Let's use worship as a weapon. Come on, team, come and help me. Let's use worship as a weapon and let's speak the name of Jesus. Let this be a prayer that goes out from you. Let's do some warfare together, church, and let's let the Spirit of God rise up within us as we proclaim the victory is won and the King is Jesus.